Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Voorhees IP VIP podcast. My name is Jeremy Harrison, and I will be your host for this episode. Today, we're speaking with Andrew Dowling, who's a partner in the UK law firm of Hazeltine Lake Kempner. Andrew and I will be discussing the European Unitary Patent and the Unified Patent Court. Andrew will address the current status of the Unitary Patent and the Unified Patent Court, where it's going, and provide general advice on the benefits and risks of pursuing a unitary patent and seeking relief in the United Patent Court. And now, here's my conversation with Andrew. Today, I'm pleased to have Andrew Dowling join us, who's from the London office of Hazeltine Lake Kempner. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, I've worked with you, Andrew, and your law firm for several years. In fact, I think uh, some of the first foreign projects I ever worked with was with uh, you and your colleagues uh, there at Hazeltine Lake and now Hazeltine Lake Kempner. And we routinely rely on your IP expertise in the UK and EU jurisdictions as, as our foreign counsel. So I've, I've invited you on today, Andrew, to, to discuss the European Unitary Patent, the Unified Patent Court. And uh, after years of delay, years uh, uh, that, that were caused by various legal challenges, recent developments indicate that the Unified Patent Court and the Unitary Patent will likely now come into effect uh, this year in, in 2022. So I wanted to bring you on and have you discuss a little bit about that. And for those of our listeners that are, are generally unfamiliar with what this is, um, I'd like to start out and have you give us a kind of a background of what this is. The, what is the Unitary Patent and what exactly is the Unified Patent Court? Sure. I think it might help if I give a little bit of background to where this comes from. So for a long time in Europe, I think since the 1950s, we've wanted to have a patent system like the one you have in the US, where you have a single patent that covers the entire region. And that's always been the the hope. But the the big stumbling block that we have in, in Europe is languages. There are many different languages across Europe, and it felt that it was unfair that a patent in one language, say in English, could be enforced against somebody in Italy, say, who didn't speak English. So it never really got off the ground. And what we have now, um, the, the current European patent system, is a, is a compromise on that, and that came into effect in the 1970s. And... Uh, as your listeners will, will probably know, you apply to the European Patent Office and you get a European patent. And then at that point, you nationalize the, the patent, you validate it in a number of countries, and you end up with a, a bundle of national patents. So to answer your, your question, Jeremy, what is finally coming in uh, is a, a genuine unitary patent which will have unitary effect across the participating countries. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think it might be helpful to explain that the current system is, remains completely unchanged. So the European Patent Office that we know and have come to love it is still going to exist. We're still going to file your, your European patents at the Patent Office, the same fees, the same procedures, the same European patent attorneys. The only difference being that once you get a European patent granted, you will be able to validate effectively uh, a unitary patent. Which instead, consists, of the, instead of the separate jurisdictions, very different, right? Well, separately or in addition to. So you might decide to have a hybrid approach, have a unitary patent, and then bolt on countries that aren't part of the unitary right. patent system. Or just have the national validations like you do today and completely forego the unitary patent. Mm -hmm. The the thing that's made this possible 
and it's quite interesting really, is machine translations. Google Translate has got so good. And in fact, they've been training their algorithms on the translations that the EPO have in their, their database. Uh, and this has given us the confidence to actually finally go ahead and, and, and do this. Just to, to touch on the other aspect of this, it's the unified patent court. Of course, there's no point having a unitary patent if you don't have a court that goes alongside it. And as the, the name suggests, that is a, a unified court that will have jurisdiction over the participating countries. It will, of course, hear actions based on unitary patents. But importantly, it will also have jurisdictions over existing European patents, regardless of whether they've been validated as unitary patents or not. And that's an important point, I think, for your listeners to appreciate. And it's possible to opt out of that jurisdiction if you want for your existing European patents. And we can touch on that a little more mm-hmm. later. Right. Yeah, so the Uni- Unified Patent Court sounds uh, very similar to what our federal circuit in the United States is, a body that, that can oversee you know, uh, patent disputes for all of the states, but in Europe, it would be the, the participating jurisdictions there. Absolutely, and that, that's the idea. Awesome. So, so what is the current status? When will the unitary patent and the unified patent court come into effect? Well, we've been talking about this for years, and it came quite close in 2016, but there were various um, obstacles, uh, not least of which was Brexit and then the um, constitutional challenge in Germany. But things have moved on, and actually in the last few weeks, Austria has ratified the agreement Importantly, that has now started a, a minimum eight-month period for the court to finalise its preparatory work. So things like setting up the IT systems, hiring mm-hmm. the judges. And the indications that we're receiving are that um, this won't take much longer than, than the eight months. And we, uh, it's looking like that the court might come into effect Uh, at the back end of this year, um, possibly November, December time. The other thing that needs to happen is that that Germany need to ratify the agreement. Um, As soon as Germany ratifies, the court will come into effect four months after. Um, Now, Germany are waiting until more progress has been made, until the court is ready and all the countries are happy. And as soon as that's happened, Germany will ratify and then that will start that four-month period and the court will automatically then come into effect right so we're looking you know mid to late 2020 it sounds like towards the end of, of this year i mean we've, we've been wrong in the past and there have been right. lots of um you know false hopes but uh it's looking increasingly likely that it will, will come into effect at the end of this calendar year all right well you, you previously mentioned that a few jurisdictions or this will be applicable to the member states or the participating jurisdictions what countries do the unitary patent and the unified patent court apply to right so this is where it gets a little bit complicated so as you will know the, the current european patent convention applies to virtually every european country um and including those not in the eu so the current system applies to UK, Norway, Switzerland, and all the EU countries. The European Unified Patent Court and the Unitary Patent, however, are European Union instruments. So as it stands, they will only apply to EU countries. Now, not 
all EU countries are participating. So Spain and Poland in particular have objected and have indicated that they, they will not um, join. There are several EU countries that haven't yet ratified the agreement. The expectation is that they will in time. But on day one, it looks like there will be 17 EU member states that will form part of this new system. I won't list all of them, but the main ones are France, Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, Italy. Netherlands and Belgium are, are key markets because of the, the ports, the big ports there. Mm -hmm. So th th there's quite an extensive list of countries that will be in it. And the expectation is that that will grow in time uh, as more EU countries sign up. How does it affect the UK? Well, unfortunately, following Brexit, we won't be in it. There was some suggestion that it could potentially be extended to include non-EU countries. And that does remain a possibility, perhaps in time. But for the time being, the UK won't be part of it. And any decision of the Unified Patent Court won't apply to the UK. All right. All right. So hypothetically speaking, the Unified Patent Court, the Unitary Patent comes into effect the later end of 2022, what should applicants be considering or, or when should they start considering validating the unitary patent? Well, as soon as it comes into effect at the back end of this year, European patents granted after that date, it will be an option to validate as a, a unitary patent. And you'll have a one month window from the grant date to validate as a unitary patent. So quite a small window of opportunity. So really, patent owners need to be thinking during the acceptance stage uh, of their European patent, whether they want to validate as a unitary patent. More generally speaking, um, there are um, additional costs associated with the unitary patent. So the, the renewal fees are, are being pitched at a level that's roughly equivalent to four national renewal fees. Right. So if patent owners tend to validate in, in four of the participating countries, then it's a cost-effective thing to do. It would make economic sense to, to just do the unitary patent. It, it, that, it yeah. would. Uh, and for big pharmaceutical companies that validate extensively, then this is going to be a big saving for them. If um, patent owners tend to only validate in three countries, it might still be worthwhile. Um, just you know, the, the additional cost versus the, the extra coverage might make that uh, an interesting proposition. But if um, a patent owner is only going to validate in one or two of the participating countries, then it, it's uh, right. perhaps less attractive. Now, a lot of our clients classically validate in UK, France and Germany. Now, of those three, only two are going to be participating. And so the, the, on a cost level, this is not so attractive. Right. So, so what are some more benefits of validating uh, as a unitary patent? You talked about right now some of the renewal fees you can bundle, um, but what about litigation purposes? Well, so this is the big benefit. Um, so having a unitary patent and the unified patent court will allow patentees to bring a single action at the unified patent court and uh, get remedies across all of the participating countries. So, for example, you'll be able to get an injunction across all of those countries, whereas at the moment, 
is a bundle of national rights. And if you want to pursue an infringer, you have to pursue them in each of those individual countries uh, and seek remedies in those countries. And that's hugely expensive and inefficient. So that, that's the key advantage. And that's what's driving, driving this, uh, really. But of course, there's a flip side to that. Of course, you, you might lose. And you've put all your eggs in one basket. Um, whereas at the moment, it's possible that you get different decisions in, in different jurisdictions. So you've got one unitary patent now and the one court, and it could go against you. Similarly, with the single unitary patent, you're much more vulnerable to a central revocation. So your competitors could file a single revocation action at the Unified Patent Court and knock out your unitary patent entirely. Contrast that with the current situation where a competitor would have to file revocation actions in all of the European countries in which you had validated your European patent. Mm -hmm. And that's hugely expensive and that's a, you know, a, a massive hurdle for your competitor to overcome. Yeah, certainly a double-edged sword. You, you can, absolutely. It, it's, it's easy to enforce across all jurisdictions, but wow, one and done, you get, you get knocked down there at, the, at that court and, and your, your patent is invalid in all jurisdictions. Yeah, it's um, a big risk. So let's switch gears. Should applicants be looking to delay grant of their EP patents if they, they want a unitary patent? Potentially, yes. If applicants know this is something that they want and uh, or they might want to keep that option alive, then we can certainly be doing things now to delay grant. So if you've got a European application that's close to acceptance or going through acceptance now, then there are things we can do to, to stall that grant procedure. The EPO have actually recently announced that they're going to have a formal mechanism for delaying grant, and that will kick in once Germany ratifies the agreement. So at some point in the summer, there will be a formal mechanism for delaying grants. So if you know you want a unitary patent, then, then that procedure will be available. But even right now, there are things we can do to, to hold, hold the grant process up. I wouldn't necessarily routinely recommend it for every application. It does add a bit of cost. But if you know that there are patents that you might want the unitary patent for, that you might want to centrally enforce, then talk to your European patent attorney and they should be able to help. Right. And just to clarify, if a European patent issues before the unitary patent, there is no, there's not a grace period. You're just basically out of luck, right? No. So that's right. So the crucial date is the grant date. So if the grant date falls before the unitary patents, unified patent court come into being, then the unitary patent will not be an option. Yeah. So it's kind of a business decision whether you want to spend the money to delay um, if it's if it makes business sense there. Okay. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about some of the benefits, the risks of the unified patent court. Why would an applicant or a patentee want to opt out of the unified patent court? Right. So you might be nervous about the new court, you might know that a competitor wants to attack your patent. So for example, you might have gone through a, an opposition at the European Patent Office, you might have successfully defended your patent there. And you might be concerned that that same opponent might want to attack your patent centrally at the new unified patent court. So you might want to opt out of the jurisdiction of the new court for your existing European patents. You might also want to just wait and see how the court develops. 
it's untried and untested at the moment. We don't know how patentee friendly it's going to be. So you might want to just wait a few years and see you know, how that pans out and, and, and whether you, you want to use the court. I should mention that it is possible to opt back in. So have, having opted out, um, as long as uh, an action hasn't been started in, in a, a national court, you can opt back in. So you can have the best of both worlds in, in, in some sense. You can keep your patents out of the jurisdiction of this new court, but if you do want to avail of it, you could opt back in. Mm -hmm. okay. But the default position will be that um, existing European patents and future European patents will fall under the jurisdiction of the new court unless you opt out. Right. All right. Well, we're coming up uh, close to the, the the end of our podcast timing here, but I wanted to maybe ask a, one or two more questions. What steps should Patent Council take right now to prepare for the unitary patent or the unified patent court system? What are some steps that might be advisable? Well, I think that the thing to be doing at this stage is doing an audit of your European patents and considering whether you want to opt them out. Now, you, you could do a blanket opt out, just opt them all out, or you could do a hybrid approach, opt some out, leave some in. But at, at this point in time, do an audit of, of your European patents and, and be thinking about that question. In that audit, you should include any license in technology. So you mm -hmm. might be licensing other patent owners, European patents, uh, and you might want to have conversations with them about whether they should be opting out their European patents that you're licensing. Equally, uh, expect conversations from any licensees you have where you're licensing European patents. They might be asking you to opt out and you might want to prepare the um, answer to that question. You want to know what your response is to that. Okay. All right. I think for our listeners, last question I have for you, I think it might be interesting for some of our listeners about EPO oppositions and unified patent court revocation actions. Mm -hmm. Can you compare those and tell us you know, what you think about those and, and, and what some of the pros and cons might be? Sure. They're, they're quite different beasts. So the main difference is that the unified patent court is, is a court with judges and there will be greater scope to bring in expert evidence and to cross-examine. And crucially, patentees will have the full suite of remedies available to them. So damages, injunctions, costs awards. Um, so it's a, a court in the, the traditional sense of what we understand a court to be. The, the other difference, of course, is um, timing. Uh, an opposition can only be filed at the EPO within nine months of grant, whereas uh, a revocation action against a European patent can be brought at any time at the mm -hmm. Unified Patent Court. One common feature, though, is that European patent attorneys will have representation rights before the Unified Patent Court. So your European patent attorney will be able to do both oppositions and revocation actions at the Unified Patent Court. All right. Well, Andrew, I, I really do appreciate your, your time today and, and the legal knowledge you've given to us. I would assume that our listeners can reach out to you if they have any additional questions. And uh, I highly recommend your law firm, your colleagues, Hazeltine Lake Kempner. Jeremy, thanks for the endorsement. And absolutely, if you, any of your colleagues or listeners have any further questions, I'm happy to answer them. I appreciate this as a complex area of the law and we've barely scratched the surface here today. So if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them.
Excellent. And uh, we hope to have you back on as uh, further developments come possibly when the unified patent actually comes into, into effect. So I'd love to. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. This has been an episode of the Vori's IP VIP podcast. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to speak to either myself or any of the guests, please feel free to reach out to us. You can contact us through Vori's website or via the Vori's Intellectual Property Updates webpage on LinkedIn. If you have a suggestion for a podcast topic or would like to recommend a particular guest, we'd love to hear from you. My name is Jeremy Harrison, and I hope you can join us next time. Bye.